Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to hold two spots, one in Matthew chapter five and the other spot in Luke chapter seven. Those are two key passages for today's study. If you're just joining us, we're finishing a series called Where the Light Is, and it's because there's a command in scripture that says this to every God's man, walk in the light as he is in the light. And so in this series, we've been looking at five keys to living in the light, right? How do we think? How do we make lifestyle choices that keep us where the light is? And for today's fifth key, I want to start with a question to get us thinking in the right direction. Have you ever said to anybody, or has anybody ever said to you, what has gotten into you? Or maybe you said about someone else, what's gotten into him or what's gotten into her? And we usually say that when someone's behavior has changed, right? Their pattern of attitude, their pattern of action has changed, hopefully for the better. And we're curious, okay, what is the source of change? Something's taken over them. And so we ask, what has gotten into you? Maybe a husband starts being kinder and using kinder words with his wife, offers to watch the kids. She notices that and she wonders, what has gotten into him? Or maybe a friend offers to pray for you and they've never done that before, right? You would notice that and you ask him, boy, what's, what's gotten into them? Or maybe unsolicited, a neighbor comes over and mows your lawn after you have a surgery and you just ask themselves, why would they do that? Or perhaps in a shocking twist, men who are married, instead of being defensive or harsh in the middle of disagreement, you admit you're wrong and you ask for forgiveness, all right? And after you wave smelling salts across your wife's nose to uh, wake her up after she's fallen onto the floor, she says, what has gotten into you? You see, the old cliche, actions speak louder than words is true for better or for worse our actions communicate but new attitudes and new positive actions after a pattern maybe decades long of old actions and old attitudes listen it creates curiosity people want to know like okay what's the source of change people want to know your motive or what's going on inside of you. They want what is unknown or invisible to them to be known or become visible. And in this final session, we're gonna dive into the last and most powerful key to walking in the light. And you know what that is? It's your personal transformation into a man of light. You see, God wants our relationship with him to personally transform us. And our transformation in him and through him, he wants that to create curiosity, to create interest in the source of our change. He wants us to be light. And so that's his mission. And for you to be walking in the light, shining his light and making the invisible God visible. Uh, to people. And so as we've done in our past studies, what we're going to do today is we're just going to reaffirm God's desire 
for us to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's going to be the first part of it. Then we're going to look at the fifth key, all right, of being where the light is. And then we're going to talk at the end as we close out, winning the battle to, to get in and, and stay in the light. So let's look at our downloaded notes. We have our theme verse that we've carried through all five sessions right there at the top. And let's read that together. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus makes it simple. You stick close to me, you're never going to walk in darkness. So there's our, there's our headline, that if you're a man of God and you follow the Son of God, you need to stick close to the, the Son of God to stay in the light. And you experience what Jesus calls the light of life right? He gives us his glasses, and he helps us to see life and experience life from his perspective. So we experience eternal life now in the present. We start to experience a supernatural and eternal life now that begins when we receive Christ, and then it continues on into eternity, right? And so in the Bible, what we see is there's men who are walking in the light, and they're close to God, they're sticking with him, and then there's this battle, and sometimes they drift and they stray. And that's what the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. There's an absence of men walking in the light, and he's kind of giving them a path back. Listen to what he says. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. And so you see through Isaiah's curiosity and actually invitation for men who are walking in the dark to come back, he teaches by contrast, there's an absence of men walking in the light, but hey, here's how you can possess it again. So let's just unpack that. The first step uh, to possessing light according to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, is to fear the Lord. Possessing light is synonymous with fearing the Lord first, right? What does that mean? It means that you're walking in light of God's presence. You have a conscious awareness of God, and that creates a discipline. It creates an accountability, uh, knowing that you will be accountable and you want to please God. So uh, Isaiah says, who among you fears the Lord? right? That's a key to getting back in and staying in the light. Secondly, possessing light means listening to the Lord, all right? And you listen to the Lord in any family by obeying. If you're a dad, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You say to your kids, why didn't you listen to me? And the only reason you ask that question is because they disobeyed you, all right? They heard you, but they didn't obey you, all right? Which meant they weren't listening, which shows us that listening actually is obeying, all right? So Isaiah says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word? Um, third, possessing light means trusting in the Lord. Isaiah goes on and he says, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, okay, there's the contrast, trust in the name of the Lord. And that's how you get your light back, right? So we fear the Lord, listen to the Lord, we're trusting in the Lord. Over whom? Over self. We trust his wisdom versus our wisdom. We trust his character over our character. We, we trust his promise over our self-sufficiency, right? Now, trust 
means to um, have a firm belief in someone, right? That they're reliable, that they're strong, that they're wise, so we trust them. We have a firm belief in them. And that's how you stay in the light, to have a firm belief in the Lord. That's how you possess light. And then lastly, based on this passage in Isaiah, possessing light means depending on the Lord. Isaiah says, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord, that'll get you back in light, and rely or depend on the Lord. Now, if, if trusting in the Lord is having a firm belief, relying on the Lord is actually uh, involves actions, right? It means that we rely on God with actions, okay? We pray to the Lord. We exercise self-control. We limit ourselves. We take steps. We risk humble and faithful steps to wait on him, okay? So if trusting in the Lord is having a firm belief, depending on the Lord is relying on God with actions. So we have a firm belief and we take firm actions. And so there's a dynamic. And when we think about possessing light, walking in the light, you know, that's the difference between clarity in life and confusion because light illuminates, light brings clarity. It talks about that in John 12, 35. It's Jesus. And he says, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. And so you see that it's easy to let go. Once you possess, the easier thing is to just kind of let go of like, I mean, stop fearing the Lord and, you know, stop listening to, to the Lord, stop trusting in the Lord, stop depending on the Lord, and, and start fearing men and listening to yourself and trusting in yourself and depending on yourself. That's when darkness will overtake you. And there is this encouragement to not stop. That's why it says walk, right? Live. Uh, live while you have the light. So our time right now on earth is an opportunity to live and walk while we have this light, while we have the Lord, we have his word, we have his character, we have his spirit, we have his people, and to utilize those things to be and stay where the light is. So that's reaffirming for us and for our desire to walk in the light as he is in the light. God really wants that. All right, so let's turn the page in our study. God definitely wants us walking in the light. And we've just looked at what possessing light means, these things. And as we integrate those things, we, we, we possess and we stay. We work hard not to let go. And here's a fifth key that will help us not to let go. And that's God's mission of visibility. If you remember, in part one, we talked about how when we remember God's character, we'll be where the light is. He's light, he doesn't blend. Then we talked about how um, God's word is light. And as we're more connected to God's word, we stay where the light is because his light, his, his word is a lamp, right? Illuminates our feet. So you connect to God's character, you connect to God's word, connect to God's people, people of light, all right? People of light, as we're connected deeply to them, keep us in the light, all right? Many logs burn brightly together, okay? Then we talked about God's spirit, all right? That's the power the active power that fills us and guides us, 
to stay in the light. And now we have the fifth key, and that's God's mission of visibility. Now, it talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is describing us, all right? And it's related to this theme of being a man of light. He says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Keywords, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So there is a contrast because that's what light is. And the contrast is the man of God who lives in a dark world. And you can see light against a dark backdrop, right? And God fully expects, and I want you to see this, God fully expects you and I, man of God, to be visible, all right? And that's why Jesus's language is emphatic. He says, you know, you don't put a light under a bowl. You're robbing it of its purpose, okay? A light needs to be put on a stand so that it brings illumination. It, it exposes, right? Uh, and, and in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they can see God and they can glorify God. They can recognize God. They can acknowledge God. How? Through a man of light and how he transforms. And so that's where we're gonna spend the balance of our time is just some of the ways, not all of the ways, but some of the ways people see God when we shine his light, all right? And number one, let's write this down. People see God when I give God full control over my choices. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse two. It says this, don't conform to the pattern of this world a dark pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of, our, of your mind. Then, key word, circle that if you have the downloaded notes. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see the picture, right? You got new thinking, right? That replaces the old thinking. You have conforming to the pattern of the world, that's our old thinking, and then we have transforming through new thinking, then, all right, there's the transitional, transactional uh, moment, then we're gonna start testing and approving what God's will is. We start actually living in a new way. I remember when I first uh, gave my life to Christ, uh, people saw that something had gotten into me. And they begin to see, and I began to testify to the fact that it was Christ, Christ in me. I, I started thinking different. Uh, I wasn't conforming to my old pattern and old patterns of living. And they saw something new, all right? Uh, at least they saw it. And what did they see? They saw me not getting drunk anymore, all right? They saw me offering to take people home from parties. They saw uh, me going to church uh, when I hadn't before. Uh, they saw new words coming out. And so they saw that I had given God full control over what? My choices. Question, does God have full control over your choices? Because when you give God full control over your choices, he will 
stop you from conforming to old patterns of thinking and living and transform how you think, and it will create new patterns of thinking and living. And when that happens, that transformation, people are going to be curious, it's going to create interest, and they're going to see God, all right? Secondly, people see God when I grow up and mature emotionally, okay? People see God when I grow up and mature emotionally, all right? So we see a toddler morph and grow up physically, but we also hope that with their physical maturity and their growth in, 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 in physical maturity, that they'll also grow up emotionally, that they'll become inwardly more mature. Nothing worse, right, than a grown man with toddler character, right? And the Bible uh, talks about this in a specific context. It says this, Jesus talking in John 13, 34, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, circle that, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, it takes maturity to love other people in a healthy way. It takes being grown up emotionally, right, to love other people in a secure and in a healthy way, right? And so people know that you haven't grown up through the quality of your relationships. And the quality of relationships is built on reciprocity and how you love, listen, sacrificially for another person. You see, I say sacrificially uh, because people recognize and see when you say no to yourself to say yes to another person in relationship to love them. So people see God when you grow up and mature emotionally. Jesus says that the indicator that you have is how you love. Now, this is not in your notes, but you might want to write down 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, in other words, when I grow up, I put childish ways behind me. You know, there's nothing worse than a 25-year-old, 12-year-old with people. There's nothing worse than a 35-year-old, 13-year-old, 45-year-old, 14-year-old, and just extrapolate that out. Grown man, grown body, man-sized responsibility, immature-sized character. You know, that's confusing. So people see God when he transforms us, and we learn how to mature and love like men. Number four, people see God, or number three, people see God when I worship without fear. And I want us to see how Jesus feels about fearless worship, all right? In, in fact, he actually, he, he points to a situation in the Gospels where you got a group of religious guys who are just acting religious, and then they, then they encounter and experience a fearless worshiper, and there's a compare and contrast that Jesus makes between a woman who is fearlessly worshiping him and these men who are not 
but who claim to be associated with Jesus. Let's look at the vignette, then we'll unpack it. So Jesus, the context is he's at dinner with a bunch of guys. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And you see the compare and contrast. And you got to understand all the rules that this woman broke, all the obstacles she overcame to be in that space and to do that. A, it was a men's meeting. Women don't come barging in to men's meeting. B, it was a meeting of holy men. And she had a very well-developed reputation for sin, most likely uh, a prostitute. And then she, she does these actions which make everybody uncomfortable. She's weeping. Imagine you're having a meal and then someone comes in and they're sobbing and they're weeping and they're taking their hair. There's no cloth. They're taking their hair and she's wiping her tears off his feet with her hair. And then she, she takes um, perfume and she puts them on his feet and she's kissing the most foul part of the human body in the first century. Feet, dirty feet, feet that have been walking around in sandals in the dirt. But she's cleaning them with her tears. She's wiping them with her hair. And then she's making them smell good. And then she's actually, she's actually kissing his feet. I mean, it is fearless. It's also super uncomfortable. But does she care one lick about what these guys think when she really should? Absolutely not. This woman is fearless. She is proud to be with Jesus. She is proud to identify with Jesus. She recognizes the depth of her redemption and her forgiveness. And you know what that translates into? Fearless worship. You know, on my phone, I have an artist's rendition of this woman because it speaks, I wanna see that. It speaks so powerfully to me that I shouldn't care about what men think when I worship Jesus, when I identify as a Christian, when I proudly raise my hands in a worship service. And I'm not saying everybody's like me, but you know what, we have to get to that point uh, where we understand fully how much we've been loved and how much we've been forgiven. And no one else 
in all of this earth has ever loved us like Jesus, which then translates into this fearless allegiance, public love, bold, unapologetic, pleasing to God, and yes, again, public worship of Jesus. And you know, guys, we can take a lesson from a woman. Jesus says, do you see this woman? And that goes to our point. People see God when we worship without fear. He wanted them to see her, just like he wants people to see us worshiping without concern about the person to our right or left, publicly, boldly, unapologetically, identifying ourselves with our Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord and God. So people see God when we give God full control, when we grow up and emotionally mature, when we worship without fear. Number four, people see God when I am generous, like God. And this is powerful and simple. Look at what scripture says. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. If you have the downloaded notes, circle that. That he lavished on us. So God, through giving blood, covers us and it changes our status and puts us into a state of grace before God. He pays generously in blood. We believe and accept what he did, his payment for us in blood. We say yes, we accept. That puts us into a state of grace before God where we were an enemy and separated. Now we're a friend and, connect and connected through God's grace, which was transacted in a generous payment of his blood that he lavished on us. Now think about that word, lavish. It means over the top, generous. Like anytime you lavish on someone through your hospitality or generosity, it's over the top. That's God. God is generous to us in an over the top way. And he wants us to have the family resemblance. Can I ask you a question? Do you live with a scarcity mentality? In other words, do you hold on to what is yours? Or do you see it as a blessing from God to be generous with? Whatever you have, how, however much you have, whatever you've been blessed with, whether that's words that you have and do you, do you hold on to them and do you withhold encouragement? Or are you generous with encouragement? Or do you protect your time because you have your agenda and your schedule? Or are you generous with your time and do you give it to others? Do you, do you hold on to the resources that God has given you? Or are you generous like God and do you lavish your resources on other people so you can bless them like God? You see, people see God when we are generous like God. You know, the world operates on the scarcity principle. There are limited resources, and we're all competing for those limited resources. But when you know God, 
who's the CEO and chief supply officer of everything, you can let go of that scarcity mentality because you've experienced his generosity and he has unlimited supply. And you can risk by faith being really generous with people. And man, when you are generous with people versus not generous and withholding, it totally stands out. Guys, you know that you can have a ministry of generosity in people's lives. I mean, I know who that what that's like, just being here at Everyman. I just see the works of God going forward through people who've been touched by God's generosity, touching our ministry with just extravagant generosity, which then rolls over and multiplies into millions of men being reached, you know, and it just blows my mind, but I know where that comes from. They have a right view of God. You know, my life and experience and conduct in God will never outdo my view of God. And if you don't know, and if you haven't made the connection of your experience in Christ as God's generosity, and if that hasn't translated into you being generous, people can't see God. So I'm, I'm camping here just for a little bit because this is a super easy and super powerful way, which is almost without words. People just see it. They know that that's not natural to be generous. And they want to know where that comes from. And when, when, when the time comes for you to explain why, you can just simply say, because God has been generous with me. And in those few words, you can share the gospel. Wow, guys, I'm just, I'm just telling you, there are so many opportunities right in front of you every day to be generous with your time, to be generous with your encouragement and with your words, uh, to be generous with your resources, and to blow someone's mind. Whose mind can you blow today? I mean, just be generous like God. People will see God. Fifth, people see God when I pursue holiness. And before you get bent out of shape over that word holiness, because there's a caricature that comes with that. Just would you translate that word into when I pursue pleasing God in everything? Because when you please God, that's acting holy. So don't get tripped up by the word holy. Um, it just means that you're pursuing what God is like. And when you pursue what God is like, you please God. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Let's connect the dot between holiness and people seeing God. It says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Holy. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Dark. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So you see that imitating God, uh, you have the family resemblance. God is holy, uh, and he wants his sons to be holy. And when we do that, we're where the light is. People see God, and the, the picture is of 
a canopy of darkness with stars, right? And that's if you ever enjoy a nice star-filled evening like I do every night in my backyard. Um, there are, I'm, I'm out away from the city, so there's the ambient light of a large city isn't there, so that means that that's turned down, which means the volume of the darkness and the stars against the darkness is turned up. So there's the contrast, all right? And God says that uh, when we do everything without, you know, being a grumbler or an arguer uh, so that we can become blameless and pure or, or holy, and we reflect being a child of God against the dark backdrop of a warped and crooked generation, the Bible says, then we're going to shine. And God's purpose and mission for visibility is accomplished. And I want you to notice that holiness is produced by holding firmly to God's word. It says, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. So do you see the crossover? How this is all working together. God's character is holy, all right? God's word keeps us holy. God's people, people of holiness, accelerate our own holiness, all right? God's spirit is giving us the power to make these choices to think and to choose. And then when we join them all together, it produces this mission of visibility that reaches the lost in a dying world. On this issue of holiness, what we see really is how intimacy with God involves imitation of God. In 1 Peter 1, chapter 15 and 16, it says this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So intimacy in a relationship is, assumes influence of character. When you're close to somebody, what's inside of them comes out on you, and what's inside of them, or on what's inside of you comes out on them, and what's inside of them comes out on you. Right? Holiness, purity, light, that is central to God's character. So it kind of goes like this: I'm your God. You're God's man, we're close. God's man pursues God's holiness. What does that look like? He seeks to please God in every way he can. He tries to make God smile. So when you reduce holiness to a simple thought of, I'm gonna make God smile, which means I'm gonna do what pleases God. That, that makes any dad smile when a son does what pleases the father. And in the process, I'm becoming like God when I please God. What does that look like to God? I'm becoming holy, all right? So don't trip yourself up over this concept of holiness. All right, number six. Uh, again, we're not hitting all the ways people can see God, but we're down to the last two. People see God when I eliminate sin. Now, in part one of this series, we talked about how God doesn't blend holiness with sin. He doesn't blend good with evil. He doesn't blend flesh with Holy Spirit, all right? So there is a marker, all right? He's not a blender, all right? His character is set. And so when we eliminate sin, we are reflecting who God is. That's why Jesus would say in Luke 11, he says this, see to it then, all right? Circle that, see to it. There's an urgency there. That the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body, right, the whole of it, is full of light, listen, and no part of it dark, circle that, 
it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. So now we go back to that initial passage of scripture when it talks about God's mission. Right? You're gonna shine as a lamp. A lamp needs to be visible. A lamp, you know, puts light and people see it. You don't put it under a bulb. But what's the key, all right? Spiritually speaking, you're the lamp of God and you shine the light of Christ as you're eliminating sin. You become brighter and brighter. The Bible says that the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn. It gets brighter and brighter until the noonday. I'm not as, I'm, I'm, I wasn't as bright for the Lord back when I first came to the Lord that maybe perhaps I'm a little brighter now, right? But I've gotten brighter and brighter. And that's my goal every day is to shine brighter for the Lord so that people can see God. And how do they, how do they see that? When I eliminate sin. Okay, and Jesus is emphatic. He says, see to it. All right, when someone says, hey, see to it, they're saying, okay, there's other things you can focus on, but see to it, right? That, that you eliminate darkness from your life. And you know, how, you know how to define what we need to eliminate? It harms your relationships with God and people. If you have an attitude, a behavior, a belief, an action, that harms your relationships with God, number one, and with people, all right? That's sin, get rid of it. Just, there's your marker, all right? That's how you define it, all right? That's why I'll just on this last, just lastly on this topic of eliminating sin, that's why Jesus would say, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off, right? And he's not saying literally to do that, but what he is doing is he's, he's talking about amputation and the seriousness of sin, that sin is like cancer and if you don't get it cut out of your life and you allow it to remain in your life like a cancer, it will metastasize and it will take the whole thing down. And so that's why, you know, can I just say, you can't play nickel poker with sin. You can't like accommodate you know, what you believe to be a small sin because that small sin really is a big cancer that can spread and will spread to other areas of your life. And so people see God when the way we used to be and believe and behave in a sinful, unpleasing way to God, now that has given way to a new pattern and now we are pleasing God and that sin isn't there anymore. People see that, all right? I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, stop getting drunk. You know, I stopped doing things. I stopped saying things. I stopped that I knew did not please God and did was not good for my relationship with him. And oh, by the way, it wasn't good for my relationships with people. I usually, you know, those behaviors usually use people or hurt people. All right, so there's, a, there's not only is it a way for people to see God, it's good for you. So there's, there's, it's a no-lose proposition to eliminate sin out of your life. So I know that there are some of you right now and you've been hanging on to this behavior that you just love more than you love God. And, and you need to send a message to God. You say, God, this, this behavior, this action, this attitude, I don't love it more than I love you. And God will know it when you eliminate it. And you have all the right reasons and all the right motivations where that should not be hard.
because of how much God has lavished his love on you and how generous he's been with you. So why don't you call a friend and get some support and just say, hey, I was watching the men's global live stream with Kenny Luck this morning and he was talking about eliminating sin and I wanna eliminate this sin from my life and uh, I'm gonna need your help and I know that God wants me to do it so I want you to hold me accountable. Man, that's what a real man would do if there was a sin in their life because he loves God. Now, lastly, people see God when I minister to others using God's word, using words of God. When I minister to others using words of God. And the Bible says that not only will people see it, but people will sense it, okay? So we've been talking about our sense of sight, you know, visual senses. Then we also have smelling senses, all right? So I'm gonna use the metaphor of see and sense and kind of put them together. Listen to what God's word says. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma, you got it? The aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, listen, among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, with believers and unbelievers. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Listen to what this says. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak, circle the word speak, before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So you have this picture, all right? And it's a parade, and it's the parade of the victorious commander who has conquered a group of people. And they are now his. They are captive to him and to his kingdom. And the general in the picture is Christ. We have been taken captive in a good way by Christ. We are in his parade. The picture is of us. We're, we're, we're chained to the chariots in the parade in front of the world to see. Parades are for the world to see. They are public spectacles, all right? So Coach Paul in this passage is reframing what is very well known in the first century as a victory parade for a general and a kingdom. And he's inserting Christ as the king. We're in his victory parade. We're identifying now with him. We are chained to the chariot. He's leading us in this public spectacle of now we're his. Got the picture? And then Paul transitions and he says, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God. In other words, we don't use God's word to puff ourselves up for our own advantage. But he says, on the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. All right. So there's, again, this, this intersection. There's the word of God. The word of God keeps us in the light of God. The word of God also keeps us in the mission of God with respect to our visibility. We speak words of God, people say, wow, I see God in that because they're his words, not our words, right? He deposits his word in us. That's why we come to the men's global live stream 
We want to get God's word in us, but do we just, is it there to just kind of be a placeholder? No. God's word's supposed to come out of us to people, all right? Wisdom, counsel, promise, prayer, right? And people see God in us when we let God's word out of us in order to bring visibility and light to him. Powerful, powerful ways that God sees. And, and I just picked seven, all right? There's many more ways, but those are some mission-critical ways Scripture affirms. So here's our big idea for this session. Write this down. Transformed men make the invisible God visible to a dark world. Men, that's what the Dangerous Good movement is all about. Men who are dangerous with goodness, filled with Christ's spirit, shining the light of Christ, making the invisible God visible, and that is his intention. God wants to make himself visible through us, right? In all the ways that we just discussed. And so my encouragement to you is get with a group of guys, all right? Burn brightly together and focus on shining the light of Christ. Now, lastly, all five sessions have given you five keys that unlock do the door to staying in the light. But it's like having a scale, like, okay, there's the character of God, and thinking about the character of God, that he's not a blender. Boop! Then there's the word of God. I have the word of God in my life. I'm in the word of God. His word is a lamp unto my feet. Boop! All right, there's the people of God. I'm hanging around men of light, all right? And that accelerates me being in the light and staying in the light. Boop. There's the spirit of God, which is God's power, which will always call me to make decisions as a man of light, to love God and love people. Boop. And now we have the mission of God, which is, okay, God's intention is for me to be visible. I'm his light and he wants me to shine, right? And for people to see him through me. Boom, all right, so now we're weighted, our lifestyle is weighted toward being where the light is. Awesome, but it's a battle not to take these little parts out and have the scales tip back toward darkness. So let's talk about that, all right? How do we keep our discipline and motivation to keep these keys in operation and press the gas pedal? Look at what it says in, Psalm 56, verses 12 and 13 says this. I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. Why? For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Wow, here's a person who is really battling to stay in the light walk before God in the light of life. Remember our theme scripture? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, all right? So here's a guy who's battling, and you see three key forces that keep him disciplined and walking in the light of life. Number one, you see a strong deliverance producing a strong allegiance. Write that down. Strong deliverance produces a strong allegiance. He says, you delivered me that I may walk before God in the light of life. You know, when you have someone die for you, when someone saves you, um, listen, that becomes a founding motivation 
and driver in your life. Just ask a Medal of Honor survivor. Someone died for them, they live because someone else dies, and then they say to themselves, I don't want that sacrifice, the person dying, to be in what? Vain. Right. So they have a new sense, a new driver, a new motivation to steward their life in a new way. Why? Because someone died for them and someone saved them. And that's what the man of God here is saying. You have delivered me from death. Why? That I may walk in the light of life. Secondly, we see strong gratitude fuels my strong attitude. In the first part of the verse, it says, I am under vows to you. All right? That's a conviction right there. Right? I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. All right? So not only is he delivered and is that a driver, and he wants to be a good steward of the rest of his life and walk in the light, but man, he's grateful. He, the attitude of gratitude is, is filling him, right? And so he's presenting his thank offering to, to God, and, it, and, it, and that, that drives his attitude. So either you have an attitude of gratitude and you stay in the light, or you just have attitude. You forget what God has done for you. And that's why we have communion. That's why we have Sunday service. That's why we have worship song. Anything that keeps us grateful. Men, you have to do anything that keeps you grateful. And that's why each day, you know, I start each day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Just cultivate thankfulness and you will stay in the light. So third, you see a strong recovery fuels a strong repentance. He says in the passage, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. So you have a stumbler who's not stumbling anymore, right? You delivered me from stumbling that I may walk be before God. How many of you out there have been stumblers? I'm, I'm in that bucket and I know because you're men and you're imperfect and you're flawed that you have stumbled too. And you know what? I stumble less when I recognize that I've been delivered from death. I'm grateful for it. And when I stumble less, that produces more energy in my life to be where the light is. And so, guys, that's how we battle, right? We got to remember that our strong deliverance should produce a strong allegiance to Christ, right? We should be the most committed that strong gratitude fuels our strong attitude. Man, we present thank offerings. We have strong convictions. Gratitude fuels our convictions. And then we've, we've recovered. We, we've changed. God has blessed us. We're not stumbling as much as we used to. And that, even as you kind of get the image of someone who's kind of stumbling and then catches their legs and they, they get up and they just start running. Man, I, I would walk and fall and walk and fall and walk and fall. Now I'm walking and then I'm walking, turning to running. Now I'm sprinting to eternity. And that's what God wants for us. And so my prayer, and we're going to pray right now, my prayer now is that if you're joining us for the first time, you'll go back and go through one through four. If you've done this, maybe you need to sink this deeper into your spirit. Go back and take a group through this. Teach this. If you really want to sink this teaching into you, Go get a group of guys, download the notes, and go through it with them, all right? 
But right now, I'm just going to seal what the main force of this series is, what God's desire is for us to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to seal our commitment to do that through prayer right now. So put down your pencils, put down wherever you are, whether you're in a coffee shop, you're listening to a podcast on a plane, whether you're at home, uh, put everything down and turn your hands up like that and let's pray together. Father, you're light. You are light. And through Jesus and through us crossing the line, of commitment to him and receiving his person and receiving what he did for us. You have made us men of light. And as men of light, sons of light, you call us to have the family resemblance. Jesus, we want to stick close to you and you say that if we stick close to you, will never walk in darkness. So God, I know that that stickiness uh, requires discipline. It requires faith. It, it requires energy and motivation. And I thank you for this series, God, that the things, the keys that we've learned, they're going to help us uh, be a sticky follower. We're going to stay close, Lord. You are light, God. That's your character. Help us to remember that you don't blend. You don't blend holiness with sin, good or evil, Lord. Help us not to be a blender, but help us to be men of light, always fighting to be where the light is. God, your word is truth and light. Help us to be men of the word, meditating on your scripture, taking it in, letting you speak to us daily through scripture because your word is truth and light. God, thank you for this brotherhood men of light that we can connect to, light creating more light, iron sharpening iron, Lord, that as we connect with our brothers here each week and, and, and in our fellowships all over the world, Lord, we stay where the light is. Thank you for that. Help us to stay disciplined in our relationships with other men of light. God, you deposited your spirit inside of us to fill and control and guide us into the light, into your word, into your character, into the family of God, into your mission. So right now, Holy Spirit, keep guiding us, keep filling us, keep controlling us, keep leading us. We need you. And then, God, we thank you that it all works together, that as we remember who you are, dwell in your word and let it into our lives. As we connect with our brothers and as we partner with the Holy Spirit, your mission for us of visibility will be fulfilled. And we remember that today, that your mission is to use us to shine your light in a dark world. Lord, I seal these commitments with every man at the other end of my voice. I seal it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I ask for you to empower every man right now that's a part of this study to go be who you've created him to be, a light, a beacon, a symbol of hope to the people around him. Let our transformation shine your light, O oh God, and bring great, great glory 
to you. In Jesus' name, in God's men's head, amen. We'll see you next week.